On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one-up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, stories from the road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein. On today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Deputy Darren. Darren, who is now retired, spent 31 years as a member of the Sheriff's Department working as a deputy, a school resource officer, and a member of the crisis negotiation team. He also hosts his own podcast called What Do You See? Empathy and Policing. Darren, it's great to have you on the podcast. I'm going to turn the mic over to you and let you share your story from the road. Thank you very much. Um, I want to thank you for uh, for thinking of me and having me on your uh, on your podcast. I appreciate it. I uh, grew up in a town called Fresno. I ended up uh, working for a department in the next county over. As you can, uh, well, I can tell I'm a black man, and so. As a young person, I didn't have a lot of examples of, uh, of law enforcement. It was never something that uh, relatives or friends or parents said. It was told me that it was something that I, I could become involved with or would be involved with. That changed in probably the fourth, fourth or fifth grade. I had a, a Fresno police officer come to our, our class and give us a presentation. I remember him. I don't remember his name. I remember his face. And I can remember thinking to myself, these guys are not bad. They're here to help. So I went through my um, my childhood and got into high school. And when I got into high school, I wanted to be a journalist, a reporter. 
And so I got on the school paper and I was on the school paper all four years of uh, high school. And my goal was to be a reporter until something happened in my senior year. There was an altercation in the school office between a football coach and another football coach. And I thought it was a hot story. I'd always been told that if you gather all the facts and you have sources and it's the truth, then you're golden. And so I wrote up a fantastic story with 10 or 12 sources, ready to go. But my teacher, the uh, sponsor for the, the paper, and he told me that it wouldn't be a good idea because people's livelihoods could be damaged. And so while that is the truth, yes, it kind of stuck a uh, needle in my balloon as far as becoming a uh, reporter. And so when I went into college, I did not have a, uh, a major. And my brother wanted to become a correctional officer. And so he was taking those kinds of courses in, in college. And he would bring his textbooks home. And so I was thumbing through them. And I realized that law enforcement was a profession. And you became a professional when you became involved in law enforcement. And I did my research. And I'd always like watch shows like Adam 12 and that kind of stuff when I was growing up and the rookies and this and that and decided I would give it a try. So I went to the police academy, graduated from the police academy and was hired by the Kings County Sheriff's Office. Very proud to have been a member of the Kings County Sheriff's Office in Central California. Kings County is a small county. It's a very rural, uh, dairies, farms, ranches. Uh, very close-knit. Uh, everybody knows everybody else in town and out in the rural areas. Um, me coming from outside of the county, didn't, really, didn't know anyone. And a lot of times I was the only Black person in the room. And I'm the type of person that I'm out to prove myself to people that I'm not greater than anybody, and I'm not lesser than anybody. I'm going to be a professional, and I'm going to do my job. And so from day one, that's how I carried myself. I was professional, and I was there to do my job. So we get a lot of calls, typical things, domestic violences, um, a lot of theft, uh, a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, just like any other department. I worked patrol for a long time, um, but my passion, the thing I was put on this earth to do was to work with kids. And so I had an opportunity when I was uh, stationed at one of our substations to become a drug abuse resistance education officer or DARE officer. And I did that for, for quite some time. I loved doing that. Um, taught a curriculum, taught many kids, you know, and I loved doing that until the program was uh, discontinued in our county. Um, in our county, we have a reservation, federal reservation with the uh, majority Native Americans that reside there. Back in the 1990s, it was growing 
but back then it was rather small and later in the decade they would get a um, commission have a, a casino commission and so revenue helped with um, the growth of the, uh, the reservation and now it's it's very it's huge but back then it was rather small when I first started with the department there's certain areas in the county that if you got a hot call at you don't go by yourself and that was one of the areas that I, I was told about so this was in my first year, probably, uh, I want to say five or six months after getting off of my uh, training probation. And I was on my own answering calls on a beat. So I got a call that there was a large physical 415, which is a large fight in progress with many subjects. The way our county is uh, situated, we have four main beats one, two, three, and four. That day, I was, that evening, I was beat three. And the reservation resides on, is on beat three. And our county is it's halved. So we have two beats on one side and two beats on the other side. It just so turned out that I happened to be the only deputy on that side of the county. And so I was dispatched and other units were dispatched, but they would be coming from, from quite a distance. How much, how much time would it take them to get to you if you needed assistance? Taking into consideration the distance, but also taking into consideration that a deputy more than likely would need help, it would take 10 to 15 minutes reasonably for them to get from that side of the county to where they were going to. That's a long time to be in a fight by yourself. Yes. And me being young and dumb and thinking I could handle things on my own, didn't take into consideration my training and what I've been told. And I responded to get there in time. So I pull onto the, uh, the reservation and get to the location. And there are, there's a, there's a big crowd of people there and they're not actually all physically fighting. As a matter of fact, I didn't see anyone physically fighting. And so I got out of my patrol unit. Now there were pockets of people around and they were talking and some yelling, some cursing and going on. And there's always somebody in the crowd that knows everything and is there to report. And so a woman approached me and started yelling, not at me, but yelling about what happened. And she points in the direction of a, an open field. And I see a subject maybe about 50 yards out in the middle of the field by himself. And he's walking, he's walking towards us. And his gait is kind of stiff. At that point, I could not see his face, but his head was, was pointing him in our direction. And he's walking towards us. And I'll call him Scott. She said, Scott, Scott's the one that was fighting with us. Scott had a, had a board or a stick and he was hitting us. And that's, that's who's the problem is. It's him. And so my immediate focus went to him. And keep in mind, all, all of my training is to be, it's not to be focused on one thing, but to take into consideration everything around, around me. You have to be, 
able to uh, see things coming from all directions, kind of, and not to focus on one thing. But as I watched him walking across the field, like I said, his gait was kind of stiff, and he's walking towards us. He's the average, average height, average weight guy. At that time, we had a lot of KJ going around, KJ, PCP, you know, marijuana cigarette. And if you know anything about PCP, when people use it and they're, they're on it, they have an incredible strength. Don't feel pain for the most part. And he's walking towards us. I also didn't take that into consideration. I go to detain him until my backup units could get there and we could figure out what was going on. And I meet him about halfway and it's just me. And he's walking towards us. I tell him to stop. He doesn't stop. I can see his hands. He doesn't have any weapons. I'm giving orders and commands. He's not doing what I'm telling him to do or asking him to do. He closes the distance between us. I take a few steps back. The worst thing I could have done was go hands-on with him, but I did. We ended up, well, I ended up on my back with him on top of me. He's going for my sidearm. So on that side of my body, my right side, I secure my sidearm in the holster with his hand on top of it. He's using his other hand to hit me in the face. And I can remember it was dark. I'm, it's all dusty around because it's in the middle of a field. I can see images of people around and no one engaging or coming to help. And I'm by myself in the middle of the field with no one there to help me. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I've got to do something. This is what they were telling me in the academy, not to let, not to ever let happen. And I got myself into it. I need to get myself out of it. I was considering using deadly force because I had no other options. He was incredibly strong. I couldn't get him off me. I couldn't mount any type of offensive moves to get him off me. I could feel myself getting weaker and it seemed like he was getting stronger and more violent than what he was doing at I don't want to say the last second, but towards the point where I was considering attempting to use deadly force, I remember turning to my side and seeing an image that I see to this day, and it's been over almost 30 years that this happened. I see a figure, a big guy, a hat. We used to wear those uh, smoky bear hats as deputies, and I can only see the, the outline, the image of it. And I knew exactly who it was. I'll call him Billy. And he had been a uh, signed by the Dallas Cowboys way back when. But he blew his knee out in like training camp or something like that. So he never had a, a career in, a, in professional football. But he's built like an offensive lineman. And I could see him running towards us. I could see the hat. I can feel the Scott coming off of me and we both got him into custody. That was the scariest time in my career where I actually thought I was going to die. I thank Billy Ray at this time because I was only about 25, 26 years old, hadn't had any children, hadn't been married or anything, it was just me. And so later on in life, I got married and had my son and Everything I am right now, I owe to Billy Ray and him getting there. Now, I will not say how fast he was going to get there because I knew where he was coming from, 
But that's the thing about law enforcement. I would tell people I worked with, especially young guys, there's nothing that's going to stop me from getting to you if you are in trouble and you need me. My brother, my sister, I'm going to get there. And so what I learned with that incident was this. The more the merrier. The more people, more uh, officers, deputies you have there, the better it is for everyone. Better for the suspect, better for the deputies. I also learned, and I never did it again, to go hands-on with someone and not have backup there or backup within a reasonable distance or where they are. And so when I would get calls, the other units were also dispatched to the call. I would always find out where they're coming from, how far they were to get there, to get to me to help. That became easier later in my career because we had the um, mobile data terminals and we had GPS and we could see where units were, were at and where they were coming from and the distance and that kind of thing. So technology is something that helped out a lot at the end of my career. At the beginning of my career, I had a notepad and a posse box and a pen, and that's what we used. I remember at the range my last year, one of the new guys, one of the rookies asked me, he asked me, what did he say? He said, oh, he asked me about when I first started, and he said something like, when you first started, you guys used pencils, right? Because now we do all of our reports on our computers. And you know what? I said, no, man, we had computers back then and I could type and I, I, and I was typing my reports. But that's something that's changed in law enforcement, all the technologies that have come about. We didn't even have cell phones back then. And when we first got cell phones, only the sergeant had a cell phone. <laughs> and that was about it. But uh, that was one thing that was very important in my career. And I remember it to this day. And I thank Billy Ray for saving my life. I bet that was a welcome sight when you looked over your shoulder and saw that big man heading your way. It was. And like I said, sometimes when I'm going to sleep at night, I see that image in my in my head. I, I'm, I will never I'll remember that image to my last days. It's something that uh, I love him for. He's still he's still around. Um, he retired a long time before I did, but uh, he's still around, still working. Billy Ray's the kind of guy. And most departments or organizations don't have this guy, the guy that knows something about everything. And so you'd walk in on a conversation and he'd be talking about the birth of billy goats and how they go through gestation and how long it takes and just everything under the sun. You would think that nobody knew nothing about. Ask Billy Ray, you know, we always had a guy like that at the firehouse, too. There was always someone that. Had all this, all this knowledge, and uh, yeah, exactly. not always relevant, but it was always, it was always there. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that guy. Yeah, he's always fun to have around. So, so Darren, what, um, what else do you want to add as we wrap this up? Any key takeaways? Anything that you want to add to uh, maybe a young officer listening to this story? For that incident, just to depend on everybody else. You are, you're not Superman. You're not Batman. You're not a superhero. You can't do everything on your own. Focus on the team. You as an individual, yes, you can do many things, but you can't do everything. 
And there's always somebody bigger and stronger. You know, the more the merrier, the more people that are there, safer you are, the safer the suspect is. That's what I learned. And also, it never happened to me again. I never ended up getting on being on my back with somebody on top of me. Never again. I never went hands on with somebody without knowing exactly where my backup was. Mostly they were there right there with me to help. And so just be careful and focus on your team. Well, that's good advice. Darren, thank you for taking some time this afternoon and sharing your story. Um, I think it is good information for people working in in law enforcement and and other first responders to hear. And I'm glad that you came through this incident uh, relatively unscathed, and I'm glad you had a long career after it. I hope in the future you'll come back and share additional stories with us. It was great having you on as a guest. I would love to, and thank you very much for the uh, the plug for my my podcast. I just started it. There were some things towards the end of my career that I that I wanted to get the information out, and it kind of didn't work out, you know, with other avenues. And so I decided to start a do the podcast, and so I'm able to get the information out. Don't have a lot of listeners, so but. I'm glad that I'm able to get that out. And so I appreciate you bringing me on and I will look forward to uh, being another guest on your, uh, on your podcast. And I appreciate it a lot. I listened to some of the episodes and very informative and all the guys, very knowledgeable and very important to get that information out to, to uh, first responders and the, uh, the general public. Very important and I appreciate it very much. I appreciate your kind words. Thank you for that. You're welcome. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this or other podcasts we're producing, please visit browndogsmedia.com. Thank you for listening.